Well, good morning. Everybody looks ready to go. You came on the right weekend. There is so much stuff going on today. Uh, as you heard, I'm going to preach shorter, right? We'll see how that goes. All right, all right. But I got a massive monitor in my face telling me when I need to stop. All right. So I'm going to do my best. We'll see. Uh, we have been walking through a series called Discovering Practical Christianity. And you all know we've been walking kind of line by line through the book of James. Now, one of the things James talks about is that we can't just observe, we can't just talk, we need to live out our Christianity. Is that correct? Now, if that is the case, wouldn't it be beautiful for us to take a one-week break and actually do something, right? So this is the weekend of activity. This is the weekend of finding out how to plug in and how to connect, talking with the Lord and saying, God, what would you have me do about the needs around me? Remember, we have to be doers of the word and not just hearers only, amen? Amen. So as we get into that, uh, we're going to talk a little bit at the beginning and then we'll release you out to go do that. We have ministries that are local and global, across the street, across the world. There are so many ministry partnerships that we're uh, connected with all over the planet. And that is because God is on the move and doing so many things. What might your part be? There is a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. I wanna give you that right off the top. What am I building with my resources? What am I building with my resources? I know some of you play the game of trying to fill it out ahead of time. How did we do, right? <laughs> yep, okay, all right, good, good, good. Here we go. Before we get into all of the practicality of it, I wanna talk about the issue of why. Why should we share Jesus with our friends, our family, our neighbors? Why should we give our hard-earned money to help somebody who's economically challenged? Why should we support ministries that are helping people we don't even know? Why should we alter our calendar to go on a mission trip? Why should we be on the lookout for people struggling when we have our own problems? Why should we serve? Why should compassion pour from our heart? These are the questions I wanna ask because it dives down to motivation. Now there are some of you that are naturally compassionate. I will refer to you officially as softies, okay? <laughs> Now, now, little softy people in here are trying to sign up for every ministry, right? Okay, y'all need to chill out, okay? Hey, you're the type of person that if you go on a walk and you go, oh, there's a kitten, you're like, can we take it home, you're right? You're those people, okay? Now, there's also other people in the room that are not softies. They are very high on personal responsibility. Their response to said kitten would be like, well, that's what you get for walking away from your family, bro. <laughs> Should have stayed with mama, huh, right? Get a job, okay. So, <clears throat> some of us have a very easy time aligning with God's heart on compassion, and sometimes God will call people that, 
to things that are not really in your wheelhouse, it's not easy for you. Now, it's a challenge. It doesn't mean that you're allowed to go, yep, I'm just not a nice person. You can't just say, well, I'm just not compassionate. You actually have to say, what is the parts of me that God built? What are the pieces that connect with my heart? Not everybody has to serve the same way. Not everybody has to care about the same things. You can say, you know what? I, I'm so interested in actual need, a lot of the stuff I'm seeing. Well, I don't know if that's actual need, but I would love, all right, great. That means God built you with a beautifully analytical brain. Okay, go find what matters to you. We just can't simply say, ah, I'm sure they'll be fine on their own, right? We all have to follow God's heart. And I wanna talk about why compassion is so important. I'm gonna give you three things. If you are a note taker, or even if you're not, go ahead and write these three things down. I think they're gonna be very important for you. Number one, write this down. Compassion is the heart of Christ. Compassion is the heart of Christ. In the Greek New Testament, the most common descriptive word of Jesus is compassionate. If we're gonna talk about what's in his wheelhouse, it's his heart being moved for people in need. Interestingly, he's doing his ministry, Luke records, and as he's teaching, these guys wanted to really kind of mess with him and challenge him on some stuff, see if they could get him caught into a kind of a theoretical battle. And they said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And you all know the answer to this, right? I mean, this is, this is pretty famous, the great commandment, okay. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You guys remember that? But then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you do these things, that's the essence of Christianity. Well, the Bible then says, and the guy seeking to justify himself asked the second question, and he said, who's my neighbor? In other words, who do I need to do this active love for? Now, what he was hoping for is that Jesus would give the traditional response. Dude, you're a Jew, yeah? You gotta love the Jews, brother. Like, you gotta be, you gotta love your people. You gotta, you know, and it was very narrow how everybody would talk about it. There was very much of a Zionist movement. There was very much of a just pro-Israel, anti-everybody else. So he was hoping that Jesus would give him an answer that he could automatically say, nailed it. He wanted to feel good about who he was, and Jesus flipped the script, right? So Jesus said, hey, I got a question for you real quick. He goes, it's gonna come at the end of a story, and here's how the story goes. Imagine this, a Jewish guy, he is on his way on a trip on a road, pretty rough, it goes between Jerusalem and Jericho. Now, the reason why that's important is because Jerusalem is where the temple is, right? So it was kind of a, a famous place. Well, unfortunately, it was very dangerous. People would kind of wait and hide and, and take out travelers. Well, sure enough, he's on his travel and he gets taken out by robbers. Now, the robbers beat him significantly, steal all of his stuff, and they leave him, the Bible says, on the side of the road, 
half dead. Now, once again, I'm more of a half alive type of guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's negative. I would like to just think half alive. Do we really need to be half dead here, right? So anyway, it doesn't matter. He's half dead on the side of the street, and he's just laying there, oh, right? He's just completely messed up. He cannot help himself. Well, sure enough, up walks a priest. Now, you got to assume the priest is either on his way to work or on his way out. We're going to assume he's on his way to work. He sees the guy. Now, you got to imagine dude in the gutter uh, finally sees a priest walk up, and he's like, thank goodness, help us here. The priest looks over at him. He's like, mm, no. Why? He goes to the other side. It is likely that he was thinking through it, and he's like, this is going to cause me an awful lot of inconvenience, because here's why. Not only do I not have time for this, dude, I got a job. But if I touch that guy, he'll probably make me unclean and I can't go to the temple. So he walks on the other side of the street and goes around him. Now, second guy rolls up. Oh, oh good, temple helper guy is here. He comes up, mm, no. He goes around on the other side of the street and continues on his way. Once again, inconvenient, all right? Then all of a sudden, the third guy comes up. Oh, he looks over, and it's a Samaritan, either on a horse, donkey, walking the donkey, comes up. And he's like, oh, shoot. Because the guy laying in the gutter knows Samaritans and Jews don't get along. If there was anyone that was going to bring help, it was not going to be that guy. Like there is so much racial tension between Samaritans and Jews. You're half breeds, you're this, you're that. They hated each other. So the guy in the gutter was like, man, I had my two shots. My own people bailed on me. Certainly this guy's not gonna help. He's got a million reasons why not to. He comes over to him kneels down and starts massaging oil into his wounds. He's bandaging him. He's getting messy. He's getting all involved, right? And then what? He puts him on his own animal, takes him to a safe place, ministers to the guy's needs all night long, whether or not he had a concussion and he's watching him, bro, I got your back. He takes care of him. In the morning, he's like, I gotta go. Like, I don't have time to be Mr. EMT guy. I have a job. So he's like, hey, innkeeper, take care of him. If he needs anything, I'm talking about extra food, if he's gotta stay extra days, put it on my bill. You know I come by, I'll pay it off. Jesus says, question for you. So who was actually a neighbor? And they're like, uh, Samaritan guy. And he's like, yeah, right. So do that. Hmm. What I think is fascinating is it's likely that the priest and the Levite saw him probably felt a little bit sad for him. I mean, he looked pretty messed up. It is also possible that they prayed for him. Right? Because isn't that the only thing we need to do? 
You go walking by and you see anybody in need and you're like, Lord, somebody's got to do something about that, man. You've got, Lord, I'm telling you, like, you got you to gotta help that person out. And he's like, yeah, 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 you're the help. Well, anyway, Lord, you got to pick somebody that doesn't have a life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to go. I got to do my stuff. It is likely they had good intentions. It's likely that they even prayed for him, but they didn't do anything about it. That was what was so difficult about that message. Quick, weird question. Where does pain come from? Pain comes from, from sin, yeah? I mean, like we had a perfect world. There was no pain in the Garden of Eden. And then we chose something other than God. It spiraled everything out of control and death and disease and hurt and loss all came into the world, right? So if we're gonna be practical about it, Pain and suffering comes from sin, yes? If that is the case, let me ask you this. Did not Jesus come to destroy the works of the devil and to reverse the curse and actually bring blessing to begin to minister to everything sin wrecked? Now, if that is the case, that means all the suffering, all the pain, heaven is still interested in ministering to. I get it. We can play the game of, well, one day this is all going to burn. And yeah, but you know what? It may not burn for another thousand years. And right now that person's really, really hurting. You understand what I'm talking about? Because we can go, oh, well, God's going to just start all over again. Yeah, he will. But that's on his plate. On your plate, we need to ask and say, is there anything I can do about that legitimate suffering? That's what Jesus did. He came as a different king, a different leader. He came as very interested in people that were hurting. And we call ourselves Christians. Number two, write this down. The deepest motivation is love. The deepest motivation is love. So what do we do about the pain that is around us? We respond, why? Because we were in need and God loved us, right? I mean, we had all kinds of issues. We had all kinds of problems. We created all kinds of drama and he sacrifices his one and only begotten son to die on the cross for us. We've seen an example of extreme compassion, right? So that was motivated by what? It was motivated by love. Because here's the reality. God didn't have to. You're like, oh, you know what? I didn't ask to be born. You gotta, no, no, no. We broke it. He could have said, let's talk about personal responsibility. You guys, I gave you everything. You don't want it. You're doing your own thing. You've been irresponsible. You guys just need to deal with it. He didn't. He went the mercy route. He went the grace route. He went to an extreme compassion route. Here's the other thing. He didn't do it for credit. He didn't do it for affirmation. Do you realize there's going to be billions of people throughout time that are going to merely shrug at the idea that Jesus died for their sins? They're gonna be like, ah, whatever. He didn't get any credit. He didn't get the whole idea. He ended up getting crucified and people just kind of go, that's ah, not a big deal. Unfortunately, a lot of the reasons why we are kind and compassionate and do good things is we're really looking for somebody to go, man, you're awesome. You've really done a great job here, right? We're doing a lot for affirmation. But that was not his motivation. He did it because his love compelled him to. 
He did it because he couldn't not do it. When you love someone so much and they are in true suffering and you can do something about it, your heart will compel you to do something about it. That is our example. Number three, write this down. Other people's problems are our problems. Other people's problems are our problems. Why? Because they're God's problems. God's problems are our problems, yes? Other people's problems are our problems because they're God's problems. Jesus said, when I come back, I will say this. You either did or did not feed me when I was hungry. You either did or did not give me drink when I was thirsty. You either did or did not clothe me when I was naked. You either did or did not visit me in prison when I was in there for preaching the gospel. And they said, Lord, when did we ever see that in you? He said, as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Your horizontal compassion has a vertical impact, right? How we treat people is a massive deal to God. When we turn a blind eye to true suffering that we can respond to, we have demonstrated that God's love is not yet in full bloom in our hearts. There's a lot of motivations for why people do good things. There are tens of thousands of charities that actually have no attachment to Jesus at all. They're doing really good work. But we do it because God wants to do it. Here's the interesting thing to me. The head gets to direct the body, right? I mean, that's kind of how we're built. If your body starts operating independent of your head, we end up going to the hospital. Yes? Like something weird about that. Like, man, this is involuntarily like, you know, moving on its own. I'm supposed to be able to direct what's going on. The Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. We're the body of Christ. If we are operating opposite of what he wants to do, something's amiss. The head should be able to go, whoa, 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 hold on, you guys. You're on my agenda. You're on my priorities. Like, you don't get to just do whatever you want. You're my body, so you should be carrying on the stuff that I would be doing if I was there, right? I mean, that's how it was designed. If we respond to the call of God, if we respond to what's in front of us, I'm not telling you have to go out and hunt every problem. I'm talking about just reacting to the things that are in front of you. If we respond to the call of God, if we respond to the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to see the miraculous. Why? Because God loves to bring power behind his plans. He is less concerned with our building our empires and more interested in building his kingdom. Y'all tracking with me? So why would he give you extra power for you to do your own selfish thing? Oh, Lord, man, you know what I'm doing? I'm gonna release an album for you, God. Oh, are you? Yeah, 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 it says Jesus like three times. Wow, wow, what are you gonna do with all that? I am going to influence. You're gonna influence who? Everybody. I mean, it depends on sales, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right.
wait, 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 why do I want to bring power behind the idea that I think really you just kind of want to be a big deal? Hmm. You know what actually I want to bring power about? You're out and about with people that are really, really hurting, and I want to bring in a miracle because I really want to change their lives. If you want to see the move of God, scoot up on the front lines. We actually have some friends and ministry partners that have joined us this morning that are part of an international ministry. They are close to my heart. Would you welcome to the stage Aaron Pierce and Felipe Machado. All right, welcome, gentlemen. Good, good, good to see you. All right. Uh, so, Aaron's this guy, Felipe's this guy. Are we all good on that one? All right. Now, uh, I do need to highlight out, first of all, my shoe is untied. Second thing is that Felipe has a cool accent. That does not make him better than us. I just need you to know that right now. I think it kind of does. Okay, quiet, Aaron. Now you're being a problem. All right. Now, when I first connected with these guys, and what you're going to see play out in front of you is not only did they have so much in alignment with where God has kind of carried me throughout my life, but I believe that they bleed out the exact same heart as Bridgeway. I believe they're, the way that they conduct themselves, the way they see the world is very Bridgeway-esque, right? So when I saw them, I had kind of an instant bond with them. So we're gonna learn a little bit about their ministry. And so uh, we're gonna begin here. Um, Mr. Pierce, I'm gonna ask you the question. Here's the question. Your dad started this whole thing, right? But like a long, long, long time ago in a, in a distant period called the 80s. <laughs> a magical time. It was a magical time. Everything was beautiful. And, uh, and it kicked a start something that now we're like hundreds of countries and all this stuff. Can you give us the shortened version of kind of what in the world happened? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my parents uh, were missionaries in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, and they had a heart to reach young people of the city that would not walk into a church, uh, which in a city like Amsterdam is pretty much all young people. Uh, they, they see these big, beautiful cathedrals that are dead and empty on Sunday, and that's their view of God, just a dead, empty tradition of the past that's not relevant to my life. And so they had a heart for these people. And so my dad started off by taking a small group of people. And they would go into the bars and the nightclubs late at night and they'd build friendships and they would share Jesus. And then they would write down the names of everyone they met and they would go out into the forest late at night and they'd pray all night over these people. And God really broke their heart for them and they, and, and they were praying, God, give us a breakthrough in this city. And again, it was in the 80s. It was the height of the punk rock movement. And my dad was saying, what can we do to share Jesus in their context? And he felt like God said, I want you to start a punk band. Yeah. As you do, right? And so he started a punk band and he was in their place and he used the stage to share the gospel. And all of a sudden they started to see tons of people come to Jesus. And they're like, what do we do with all these people? And so what they did is they started a Bible study on a big red boat behind the central train station, as you do. And, and on that, that boat, the address of that boat was Pier 14. And the Dutch word for Pier is Steiger. 
So that's where the name of the organization came from. It became a church reaching young people of the city, again, that would not normally walk into one. And then what happened is this band that my dad started started to go to other places. They went to communist Poland and then the Soviet Union and eventually all over the world. And people were reached in very unlikely places. Christians were inspired. And pretty soon people began to identify with this movement called Steiger. And they were referring to the church back in Amsterdam. And eventually it grew into a full-blown organization. It was the environment that I got to grow up in. And eventually I joined the mission myself. And it's become this global mission that is all about mobilizing followers of Jesus to reach young people who would not walk into a church. Yeah, amen. Can we, can we applaud that? Yeah. So those of you that know my story, do you understand why I'm connecting in so much, right? The whole let's play in a hard rock band, you know, heavy metal, let's go into bars, clubs, preach the gospel, like that's my background. So this obviously was right down my alley. I was like, wow, I have so much in common with them. But, but there's another element to it that brings in Felipe, and, and that is the idea that along the way, Young people have come in and said, I want to dedicate my life to this. It wasn't just David, Aaron's dad. It wasn't just Aaron, his sons. Lots of people have joined on. And more recently, uh, Felipe and his wife have joined on. So my question for you, sir, is why would you, you're newly married, two years married. Why would you, instead of kind of, I'm building kind of a family, I'm trying to build all this stuff and kind of get settled, you've now said, Lord, I'm gonna follow your call and you're moving around the world. Why would you do that? Yeah, well, the reason I'm doing that is because it's, uh, it's very related with my faith journey. So I know maybe you guys look at me now and it's hard to believe, but when I was 18, I was a very cynical, very punk guy. And it's, you know, I, because of, I, I went to a rock concert one day, and in a very, a day that I would never expect to hear about Jesus, a guy came in the stage, and he started talking about Jesus and the faith. And I, and I heard about Jesus in a way that I haven't heard before. And God started working in my heart that day. And not, lo not long after that, I met David, Aaron's father. And he saw my band playing, and he said, you guys are good. You guys should use your music to share a message that can change people's lives. You should share the gospel with your music. And, and we accepted the challenge. We, our group of friends started this band, and the whole idea was to share a message of the gospel using the concert. And the first night we performed was in a very secular club in the heart of Sao Paulo. And I saw people having a deep encounter with God. It was a, the power of God was present in the room. And the, the gospel was changing their lives, but it was also changing my life. I needed to see God's power in action in a way that it would transform me. And from that moment on, I, I was playing in, a different, in different bands at the same time. And in that, that day, I decided, man, that's what I should be doing. I feel the call of God into my life. I left other bands. And I have the privilege since then to be frontline in this mission and to see many people being reached by the gospel, by the power of God and be transformed, having their lives transformed. Two years ago, I got, less than two years ago, I got married. And now we are, uh, we have the privilege to serve this way. And we are moving to the States for this reason. Amen, amen, amen. You know, we kind of think, are there still biblical stories being written where you would say, somebody would say, here I am, Lord, send me, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. 
Lord, that I'm not bound to a location. I am free to be used by your will. The answer is yes. These are living examples right in front of us. Now, going back to you, Aaron, it doesn't always have to be that you have to play an instrument and all that stuff to get involved. As a matter of fact, that's always been a vehicle, right? And so your mission has always remained the same, which is influence youth culture, but the method has adjusted. So give me a, an idea on how this actually works. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the idea here is that we're all called to play a role in reaching people that won't walk into a church. And this can be a very personal thing, like people in our own families yeah. that have walked away. So our heart is to serve the church and mobilize people to, to reach people that, again, have walked away. Um, so the way we do that, first and foremost, is we, we partner with the local church by providing training and resources to equip people to engage this secular post-Christian culture that we're in. The second thing we do is we raise up young leaders, invest in them, train them, equip them to be specialists at reaching what we call the global youth culture of their city. So global youth culture is young people all over the planet that are influenced by similar voices and are often buying into secular ideology and all that that brings where it's really, you know, morality and identity and purpose is self-defined and it's leading to a lot of people that have walked away. So how can we raise up young leaders that are specialists that build a team in a city like Sacramento where we're building a team who are, are engaging in relational presence in secular places doing creative evangelism of various kinds and discipleship relationships that walk people into the church. And then in doing all of that, they're catalyzing the local church of a city to see the power of God at work outside the church. So we're building these teams in cities all over the world, including right here in Sacramento. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um, so kind of, we're, we're going to jump into a, another piece here, and that is Felipe, one of the beautiful things about being on the front lines is that you get a chance to see the movement of God. You get to see the power of God. At Bridgeway, one of the biggest things to us is transformed lives. Have you ever got a chance to see the miracles of God? Yeah, so as Aaron was saying about these teams, uh, in 2019, I served with one of these teams in Amsterdam. And uh, we, we were seven people, six Colombians and me. I'm from Brazil. And we were serving there for a short period of time. There was a beautiful local church that received us. And the whole idea, they, they, they were partnering with the heart of let's reach secular people in Amsterdam that would, wouldn't walk to the church. And the pastor that received us, he said, hey, I want to introduce you to Anika. Anika is part of our church. She is a girl. Uh, she's, she's faithful, but she's struggling. Like she needs more friends and she needs something new in her life. Uh, and so we welcomed Anika as part of our team. And she was coming to the prayer times, to the worship times, and we were talking about how we would go to the secular places in Amsterdam to share the gospel. And she came with us. Sometimes she didn't want, sometimes she was struggling. But we encouraged her, we brought her to these places, and, and she started to change. She started to experience something new in her life. And one day we were doing a, an evangelism, and we met another girl called Rita. And this girl, she was a secular girl. Uh, she was in, living a very uh, destructive lifestyle. Uh, and we met her. We shared the gospel with her. We prayed for her. And she clearly had an encounter with God. She was responding to it. But she needed to know more. So we invited her to come to our house. 
we were reading the Bible. It was the first time she was reading the Bible, asking questions. And throughout the following months and, and a couple years after that moment, she had ups and downs. She had moments that she was understanding the gospel and other moments that she started to struggle. She was like, but I'm praying and I don't understand. And Anika was walking with Hita throughout this journey. And what she saw was, you know, God speaking to Anika and through Anika speaking to Hita. And after two years, Hita finally took a decision. She came to the church. She was like, I need to give a step further. And she was, they, they invested in her. They explained what Baptist was all about, what to be part of the church was all about. And Anika had the chance to baptize Anahita. And it was a beautiful, beautiful story of how Anika felt, found like a space to exercise her faith and grew so much in her faith. The pastor that introduced us, he says, you know, he talks to us sometimes. He says, Anika is a different person. She's so alive and she's so faithful and it's beautiful to see. And Anahita came to be baptized and brought two other friends, non-Christians, to be part of her baptism day, and she's so fired up, now she wants to share the gospel with others, and it's a miraculous journey for Anahita as well. Amen, amen. <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna let these guys go. I got one more question for you, Aaron, and that is, um, are, first of all, are only cool people allowed to join the ministry? What about awkward people? Do you yeah, feel good about that? Only cool people, so I'm sorry, Lance. Oh, I'm sorry. I got shut down. All right, get off stage right. here. Can we appreciate these guys? To our online audience, in a moment when we dismiss here, we have something very, very specific for you. We have some live interviews from the lobby, and they're only for you. But here, inside the house, we're going to release you in a moment to go out and just kind of pray through, gather the information, know that God has some divine appointments for you, ask a lot of questions, and then go home and pray about it. Maybe there's some that immediately those ministries matter to you. I would suggest you grab one of those bingo cards because we all like treats. Yeah, right? So, and donuts are from the Lord, amen? Amen. amen. All right, cool. Now, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a blessing over all of us, including you online. Remember to hang in there and just release you out. Can we just pray? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful day. What an amazing experience to be able to know that you're working both around the corner and around the globe. God, we wanna join you in whatever you want to do. We wanna be a part of it. We wanna be on the front lines of seeing transformation. God, I pray that the message today, the testimony today, the opportunities today would soak deep down into our heart and we would become people of action. Lord, may we be the church and not just talk about being in church. God, would you light us aflame today, get us on fire, allow us to be so joyful and proud of you that we would share you with everyone we love and even those that we just met. May you be glorified and praised. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.